Hey, it's Dr. Angles. Welcome to Advocate. Please be advised that the subject matter that we will be discussing may be disturbing to some listeners. And a big shout out to my friend Corey Hendricks for allowing me to sample his song, Invocatio. You can now download his song from Apple Music, Spotify, and more. Go check him out, and thanks for tuning in. Welcome back, Advocate family. It's Dr. Angles. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you all know that there is a website, www.advocatefamily.com, where you can also listen to these podcasts, but view blog posts and more. So please check it out. You can also submit suggestions for future podcasts or any things that you would like for me to cover. But today we're going to do our weekly highlights of our Innocence Project, which if you listened to the weekly highlight before for Christopher Miller, you're aware of what the Innocence Project is. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Today's highlight is on Joseph Buffy. Joseph Buffy has been incarcerated for 17 years and he is an active case of the Innocence Project and they are currently working on exonerating him. So here are the details of Joseph Buffy's case. On November 30th, 2001, at approximately 6.30 a.m. in Clarksburg, West Virginia, a woman, the victim, awoke in her bedroom of her home and saw an intruder standing beside her bed. The intruder was a white male and the victim was an 83-year-old widow who lived alone. Her bedroom was on the second floor of her two-story home. Brandishing a large knife and a flashlight, the intruder said, this is a robbery, I need your money. The victim responded by informing the intruder that her money was on the first floor. The intruder then forced her to get out of bed and accompany him down the stairs, through the hallway, and into the kitchen. The victim gave him all the cash that she had from her purse, totaling a whopping $9, and he then took the victim back upstairs to search for more money and valuables. He informed her that he had been here before. The intruder sexually assaulted the victim when they returned to the bedroom penetrating her vaginally from behind three times and forcing her to perform oral sex on him twice. He subsequently tied her hands behind her back, told her not to call anyone for 20 minutes, and departed. 20 minutes later, the victim freed herself and telephoned her son, a Clarksburg police officer. Three police officers responded to the call and transported the victim to the hospital. The victim was interviewed by a sexual assault nurse at the hospital, and in this interview, the victim described the crime in detail, explaining that the assailant had not worn a condom and may have ejaculated. In response to the nurse's question as to whether there were multiple assailants, the victim answered no. Although she was described to be in mild distress, the victim was considered alert and lucid during that interview. Later that day, at approximately 1.40 p.m., The victim provided a detailed tape-recorded statement to police. In that statement, she reiterated details of the robbery and assault, explaining that she had awakened to find a man standing beside her and demanding money. The statement she provided to the police was almost identical to that provided to the nurse. The victim again related the circumstances of the robbery and assault, stating that the intruder took her back upstairs after they searched for money and demanded that she undress and get beside the bed on her knees. The victim described her assailant as a white male, 25-year-old estimated range. 
She indicated that he was wearing blue jeans with a light colored t-shirt and that his face was partially hidden by a white bandana. On December 7, 2001, approximately one week after the assault, 19-year-old Joseph Buffy was arrested for three nonviolent breaking and entering offenses at businesses in downtown Clarksburg. Joseph was questioned for approximately nine hours. Although he admitted his involvement in the burglary offenses, he repeatedly stated that he did not commit the robbery and the assault of the victim at 3.25 a.m. However, he told the officer that he had broken into, quote, this old lady's house, end quotes, but he could not recall ever assaulting anyone sexually. Joseph provided very limited details about the incident. The information he provided was substantially inconsistent with the victim's account of the robbery and assault. When the officers informed Joseph they knew he could recall more and they would give him one last opportunity, quote, to sing, end quote, he retracted this account of the incident and stated, you really want to know the truth? I didn't do it. On December 18th, 2001, attorney Thomas G. Dyer was appointed to represent Joseph. According to testimony later adduced at hearings, Joseph's request for habeas relief, he admitted to Mr. Dyer that he had participated in three nonviolent break-ins of local businesses, but did not admit involvement in the sexual assault and robbery of the victim. He further informed Mr. Dyer that he had an alibi. He had allegedly returned to a motel to spend the night after he had broken into a local Salvation Army. Joseph had never admitted to being in the house of the victim nor the sexual assault of the victim. And any partial admittance to that was done after a nine hour grueling interrogation, which he later retracted. This is not something that is uncommon. When you are in a room for nine hours being interrogated by several different people without a break, at some point, you just want a reprieve. But he adamantly denied being in the victim's home and sexually assaulting her. Nevertheless, Joseph was indicted for the robbery and sexual assault of the victim, as well as the crimes that he did admit to of breaking and entering and accompanying property damage to the Clarksburg businesses. The robbery and the sexual assault indictment included five separate counts of first-degree sexual assault, with a potential minimum sentence of 15 years and a maximum of 35 years on each count, and one count of first-degree robbery with a possible 10-year minimum and an indeterminate maximum sentence. On January 29, 2002, Mr. Dyer filed a motion to compel production of discoverable materials, noting the state had been ordered to produce all discoverable information related to the alleged sexual assault within seven days of arraignment and had not yet done so. This involves the rape kit DNA done on the victim. Lieutenant Brent Myers of West Virginia State Police Forensic Laboratory received the victim's rape kit and began the DNA evaluation on January 22, 2002. He had been asked to expedite testing, and by February 8, 2002, he had tentatively concluded that the DNA did not belong to Joseph. On February 9, 2002, Lieutenant Myers began the process of retesting the samples. During those procedures, he noted the possibility of more than one male DNA source. However, even that secondary source did not appear to be Joseph's. 
On April 5, 2002, six weeks before the circuit court accepted a guilty plea from Joseph, Lieutenant Myers completed his report by concluding, assuming there are only two contributors, including the victim, Joseph Buffy is excluded as the donor of seminal fluid identified from the rape kit. The report was mailed to Detective Robert Matheny of the Clarksburg Police Department on July 12, 2002. It is uncontested that Lieutenant Myers' report was not provided to the defense before the circuit court accepted Joseph's guilty plea. Mr. Dyer testified that he was desperate to learn the test results. Despite his repeated inquiries, Prior to Joseph's acceptance of the plea offer, Mr. Dyer was informed the results were not yet complete. He later indicated during the habeas proceedings that he would have, quote, put the brakes on the judge accepting the plea, end quote, if he had known the results excluded Joseph as the sperm source. On January 30th, 2002, the state presented Joseph with a limited time plea offer. Joseph signed the plea agreement on February 6, 2002, agreeing to plea guilty to two counts of sexual assault and one count of robbery. In exchange for agreeing to the sexual assault charges that he admitted he did not have involvement in, the state agreed to dismiss the charges regarding the business burglaries. So basically, the state was encouraging Joseph in a time frame that was very limited to admit guilt on sexual assault in lieu of being charged for the burglaries he did admit to. The charges that Joseph pled guilty carried a potential sentence of 40 years to life. Mr. Dyer recalled the urgency to take the plea and stated we were put on a short fuse because the plea offer was only available for a limited time. Mr. Dyer explained that he had strongly recommended signing the plea agreement and had told Joseph he was likely to get concurrent sentences on all of the counts to which he was pleading guilty. He also informed Joseph that his acceptance of the plea offer would likely result in a sentence no longer than a potential sentence for business-related burglaries. So Joseph signing this plea agreement, even though it's for charges of sexual assault, he was informed that it was replacing the business-related burglaries that he was responsible for and that pleading guilty to those sexual assault crimes would result in a sentence that was less in length than the burglary-related charges that he had actually done. So the court ended up sentencing Joseph to 40 years on the robbery charge and 15 to 35 years on each sexual assault charge to run consecutively for an aggregate term of 70 to 110 years in prison. Joseph's profession of innocence to the Division of Corrections was not discussed, nor was the completion of the DNA testing revealed to the court prior to signing this plea agreement. In fact, Joseph didn't even know the test results at this time. On November 14, 2002, Joseph filed a request for a habeas corpus relief, claiming ineffective assistance of counsel and prosecutorial misconduct. At that time, Joseph was still unaware that the DNA testing had been completed. He was appointed Terry Tishner counselor to represent him in the habeas proceeding in early 2003. 
Joseph, insisting he was innocent, asked her to obtain the results of the DNA testing. Ms. Tishner contacted Tracy Cook, assistant prosecuting attorney, to inquire about the DNA testing. When Ms. Cook subsequently telephoned Ms. Tishner with the information, Ms. Cook said, we have a problem. She informed Ms. Tishner, Joseph's counsel, of her discovery that the state's DNA tests had been completed with a report issued in April of 2002. On March 31, 2003, Ms. Tishner filed an amended habeas petition, which included the additional issue of suppressed DNA results. She also hired a pathologist as an expert for purposes of DNA evaluation. In response to Joseph's assertion that the state had suppressed evidence of the favorable DNA results prior to accepting the plea, the state argued the police should stand because officials were personally unaware of the April 2002 report at the time of Joseph's guilty plea. So just because they didn't know about the DNA test showing that he did not commit these sexual offenses prior to the plea, they're stating that that plea agreement should still stand regardless if the DNA evidence was in existence to exonerate him. It took an additional nine years, nine years later, and it was in May of 2011, and after months of resistance from the prosecution, the profile was finally run through the federal DNA database to see if it matched a convicted offender. It did. It identified another man who had multiple felony criminal convictions, including breaking into a residence and robbing and assaulting a woman. The West Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals recently ruled that Joseph's constitutional rights were violated by the state's failure to turn over favorable DNA evidence and has allowed him to withdraw his guilty plea. However, he's still behind bars. 17 years later, with DNA evidence from a rape kit, excluding him and proving with scientific evidence that he was not the person that robbed and sexually assaulted the elderly victim, he is still behind bars and awaiting further court proceedings should they be accepted. This is our criminal justice system. This is why companies and organizations like the Innocence Project are so important. And this is why we need to advocate for criminal justice reform. I will be posting more about Joseph's case on www.advocatefamily.com in a blog. So please, I encourage you to go there and to look into this case and I will link the Innocence Project so that you can check out their website and they run on donations because they represent wrongly accused, wrongly convicted individuals pro bono. So take a look. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Hashtag advocate and let's get this trending. Take care guys.